Christ and Christ alone, who is the foundation and the head of his church. For no man, as was just read, no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If you have your Bible, please open with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll be looking this morning at verses 4 through 8. And the title of the sermon today is The Precious Cornerstone. The Precious Cornerstone. In this passage, we will consider the Lord's view of Christ. That Christ is indeed choice and precious to his Father. We will see the response of believers to the precious cornerstone. And we will also see the rejection of the world toward Christ. And in a way, that sounds overly simple. Christ is the Savior. Believers believe in and accept him, and those who are lost reject Christ. That is the basic premise of the passage before us today. But we must understand that it is of eternal significance how we view Christ. You will either go eternally to heaven to be with the Lord if you are in Christ, or you will go eternally to hell, to the place of destruction, if you die apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. It is of eternal significance how we view Christ. It's not only what we say we think about Christ, but how our heart truly sees and responds to him. So with that, let's read our text, and then we will ask the Lord to bless our time together today. If you will, please stand, if you're able as we um, want to show honor and reverence to the reading of God's Word. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, and this is the inspired word of the living and true God. And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected. And this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to this doom they were also appointed. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. And as you're doing so, let's bow together and ask the Lord's blessing as we study his word. Our God, we come to you as the exalted king of the highest heavens. You are the creator and sustainer of all things. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and nothing that has come into being would have come into being apart from the Word, who is Jesus Christ. 
Christ. Lord, it is Jesus Christ who is your agent of creation and the head of the church. He is the very foundation, the cornerstone of the church. He is exalted and given the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, both those on earth and those in heaven and those under the earth, they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This is the Savior to whom we submit our lives. This is the Messiah who laid down his life at Calvary's cross so that we could be forgiven of our sin debt and freed from the power and the penalty of sin forevermore. Lord, would you show us Christ? Would you help us to understand the glorious and precious and choice nature of our Savior, that this was not just a mere man who laid down his life, but the very beloved Son of the Most High. Lord, as we sit under the authority of your word, we understand that it's only by your Spirit that we can take and receive and be nourished by and apply your truth. So it is our prayer, it is our great need and our great request in this time that your spirit would move in power in and through and among us. Lord, would you constrain the words that are to be spoken to be only in submission to and under the authority of your truth? Would you constrain our thoughts? Would you take away distractions? And help us to see our glorious Savior for what and who he is. May we be those who believe upon Jesus Christ and not those who reject him and stumble over him who are appointed to an eternal doom in hell. Lord, would you sanctify us by the truth? Your word is truth. Glorious truth it is. God, would you help us now to focus our gaze upon Christ, to fix our eyes upon our Savior, that we would leave here this morning having having seen the Savior and being pressed deeper into our walk with him. We are dependent upon you for this work. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So as we look at this text, we we see again that the primary focus really is the Father's valuation of the Son, that the Son is choice and precious to the Father. And flowing out of that then, the believer has duties. We see the, the differentiation between those who believe and those who reject Christ. And so kind of as an overall charge for us, the saints of God, as we study this passage, we see that we must be living stones who see and believe in Christ as the choice 
and precious cornerstone of the Father. We see him as choice and precious and valuable, and we give our lives as living sacrifices that are only made acceptable to God by the blood of Christ. We live as those who see Christ as glorious and of greatest value, his blood poured out of of greatest cost, and our lives are transformed because of that vision of Christ. We give ourselves as living sacrifices, knowing that those sacrifices are only pleasing and acceptable because of the work of Christ. Peter calls his readers to come to see Christ as the cornerstone. Now, the cornerstone in this time would have been when they were building uh, some type of building, the cornerstone would have been that first rock laid in the corner of the building, the rock by which everything was measured. This is the image of Christ as the cornerstone, as the foundation of his church. But then not only is he the foundation, but he is the standard. The cornerstone is the the standard of measure in a building in Peter's day. He is the measure of our faith. He is the hope of our faith. He is the surety of our faith because he is the one by whom we are measured in the presence of the just judge of all creation. So as we study this passage, we want to see how it connects to Christ. The Father's view and valuation of Christ, the believer's trust and acceptance of Christ, and how those who do not believe reject Christ and turn away from him. They stumble over him, and he is the stone that the builders rejected because they hated his form. They hated his ministry. They did not like the sacrifice of Christ's life. That was not what they foresaw as their Savior and Messiah. That is how the lost are defined. And the same happens today. People may know of Christ. They may have heard of Christ. They may even believe the things that the Bible says of who Christ is and what he did. But they hate him because he calls them to take up their crosses and follow him. He tells them to lay down their lives, to be willing to lose everything for his sake. And so that is the dividing line that we will see as we work through this passage. So firstly, let's look at verse 4. Verse 4 and see the Father's valuation of Christ. God's word here says, And coming to him, speaking of Jesus, as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. This verse, this idea of how the Father sees the Son, is the hinge on which this passage swings. We have to get the value of Christ right. We have to see him as choice and precious and as a living stone because otherwise our faith would be in a Christ who is not the Christ of the Bible. So this first point is kind of the foundation of how we can look at those who believe in Christ and those who reject him. So there's really three descriptions to see in verse 4 of of how we must see Christ. Firstly, we see that we are to come to him as to a living stone. 
a living stone. Easter is coming up soon where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and speaking to a room of those who are in Christ, we understand, we know this. If you don't know that Christ is a living stone, then you are outside the faith. Christ is alive. The grave could not hold him. He died on the cross. He went to the grave and on the third day he rose. Life was breathed back into his body. He rose and came forth and ascended on high to the right hand of God the Father. Christ is alive. He sits at the right hand of God, interceding for you and for me. He is our advocate before the Father. Paul would put it this way in Romans chapter 6. Romans 6 verses 8 through 10. He said, if we have died with Christ... We believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death is no longer master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. He died, but death is not master over him. Jesus is the king of the universe, and he was risen in victory over sin and death. It's this life of Christ that gives him authority to call us to himself. Consider Romans 5, verse 10. Paul wrote, Therefore, if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son... Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. If you don't serve a resurrected Savior, you don't serve a Savior. If Christ is not a living stone, he is not the Messiah. Jesus relied on this own authority. In John chapter 5, verse 21, speaking of his authority to give life. John 5, 21. Jesus said, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. Because Jesus is the Son of God and God himself, he gives life to whom he wishes. Simply stated, the point here is that if we minimize or if we miss or if we do not fully submit ourselves to the fact of the resurrection, the bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are outside of the faith. So to understand as we're looking at Christ as the cornerstone, as the foundation of his church, the first thing that we must see is that he is risen. He is a risen and living Savior. And we come to him the text says. We come to him as a living stone. We come to him as a living stone who's been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. We'll come back to this idea of rejected by men towards the end, but we want to see those two descriptions now that he is choice and precious in the sight of God. This, what it really means is that he is chosen by the Father. The Son is chosen by the Father in eternity past, there was the agreement made between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that the Son would go be the working agent of the accomplishment of redemption. That the Son would take on human flesh, that he would come and live a perfect life, 
that he would go to the cross and suffer immensely and bear God's wrath against sin for all of the elect saints and that he would pay that penalty and that he would then be risen from the grave and called back to eternity into heaven. That is what it means that Christ is choice before the Father. MacArthur had this to say, and I kind of want to just read this and and let y'all chew on it for just a moment. MacArthur wrote, The Father measured Christ by the standards of divine perfection, and then he declared, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You hear that? The Father, with the fullness of divine perfection and wisdom and knowledge and perfect holiness, looked down upon his Son in physical human form and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Son is the one in whom the Father found his greatest delight and pleasure and glory. Isaiah 42, verse 1, spoke of this. The Lord declares there, Behold my servant, whom I hold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. The Father delights in the Son. The Son is choice and precious to the Father. He is of utmost value and delight and glory and joy. Ask yourself the question, Do I delight in the Savior as the Father who is perfect in every way delights in the Savior? Jesus is not to be trifled with. He is not to be trivialized. He is not a means to an end or the causation or the power behind some agenda. Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the choice Son of God of God. Friends, how we ought to have this sense of reverence as we consider our Savior. For we are His bride. We are His people. We are His church, His household. We'll look at that in a moment. How we should consider how choice Christ is as we take that name upon ourselves to be his people and his bride and his church. Do you delight and do you find joy in Christ more than you do the things of the world? Do you delight and find joy in Christ more than you do even the good gifts that God gives you? The Lord is a giver of good things. But those cannot take priority over the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ. Do you find his commandments burdensome? Is it difficult for you to obey Christ because you would rather do what pleases you? Does your soul desire to delight in the Savior and bring delight to the Savior? Or do you desire to do what pleases your flesh? Christ's choice of God Peter also says that he is precious in the sight of God. He is precious in the sight of God. Considering we looked at this back towards the end of chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Peter said, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, 
but you were re- redeemed with precious blood. Precious blood as a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Peter understood the preciousness of the blood of Christ. He wrote of it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Peter also understood the great need for the blood of Christ. Again, when, when you read things like this, you consider the author, the, the, the man who wrote these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who, when the rubber was meeting the road, when Christ was going to be crucified, Peter denied him, denied even knowing him, invoked a curse in order to strongly deny knowing Christ. Peter knew the necessity of the blood of Christ to cover over his sins. And that blood was precious to him because he knew the depth of his sin. Dear friend, is the blood of Christ precious to you because you consider the depth of your sin? Do you consider that you were dead in trespasses and sins, but you were made alive together with Christ by the grace and love and foreknowledge and election of God? You consider that all of your good works are but filthy rags before the holy God of the universe? And it was the blood of Christ that covers and washes and cleanses you? Do you see that Christ is precious? Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 29, put it this way about the importance of understanding the blood of Christ. The writer there says, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving knowledge of the truth, There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and profaned the blood of the covenant? That's not written, that's not meant to rob us of our assurance of faith because surely even those in Christ will sin. But the writer says, for those who go on sinning willfully, who willfully, longingly desire to walk in the deeds of the flesh. And he says, at that point, there is no forgiveness. You have trampled underfoot the Son of God, and you have profaned the precious blood of the covenant. This is written to warn us of the seriousness of sin. So as we consider Christ, who is a living stone, who is choice and precious before God, Do you see the great value of your Savior? Hopefully we say, yes, we do see the great value of the Savior. Does your life align with the great value of that Savior? We believe in the idea of a particular redemption, that Christ paid for particular sins for the saints of God. He didn't die for every sin of every person to ever live And there's just this account of Christ's forgiveness to be poured out on those who come to Christ. No, he died for your sin. He died for the sins that you commit. And if you see his blood as precious, your life should be transformed. You should live in such a way as to show that that blood means something to you. That you don't go on profaning the blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Christ is choice and precious. Now moving to verses 5 through 7, 
let's consider the believer's acceptance of Christ. The believer's acceptance of Christ. It says, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This value then is, this precious value then is for you who believe. So in this, we just, we see what marks the believer. We see how the believer has assurance. We see this great hope that we will not be disappointed or put to shame in Christ when we come to him with genuine faith. Really, this point takes its root back in verse 4, where Peter writes, and coming to him. That is the, the first step, the first point of salvation as it regards to us. We come to Christ. Now, we believe that we come to Christ only by the grace of God, granting us new life and granting us faith. But we come to God. We must come to him. That is what it means to be a believer of Christ. So this faith is a gift of God, and the one who comes to Christ then becomes himself a living stone. You also as living stones. Christ is a living stone because he was resurrected to new life out of the grave. He was raised from the dead. Dear friend, do you realize that if you are in Christ, you are also a living stone who has been risen from the dead? Yours was a grave of sin. You were dead to sin. Paul says in Ephesians 2 that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. You are a living stone because you have been made alive by God with and in Christ. So we come to him. We are made alive to be living stones. And then there are are three descriptions of of what we are, what we are made to be. In verse 5, you are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. So there's so much there. We could spend hours considering those ideas, and we'll even come back to the idea of a priesthood, Lord willing, next week, because Peter mentions it again in the next paragraph. But there's so much that we could see there, but I want to kind of try to move through it and see how those terms kind of stack upon one another to build up this idea that we are God's people offering ourselves as sacrifices unto him. So firstly, we see that we are saved to become a spiritual house. We're saved to become the spiritual house of God. We are set apart to be God's people, his church. A church is not a building. We are in a church building because the church is the gathered saints of God. It is God's people that make up the church. We are being built together by Christ to be his church. And the church has a unique description in Scripture as to what it is and what are its functions. 
Consider the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy 3 verse 15. Paul says, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. This is a primary purpose in our salvation, that we become the church of God who is a pillar and support of God's truth. In the Old Testament, the temple was where God's presence dwelled with his people. And it was in that very temple that God's word was read and taught and proclaimed to his people. And God's command is no different today. The gathering of his people is centered and focused on the word. Our duty is to preach the word, to live the word, to guard the word, to defend the word, and to support, to be a pillar and support of the truth. You are being built into a spiritual house so that you support and defend the truth of God's word. Now, the proclamation of the truth is not constricted to the gathering of the church. We are to be a truth-proclaiming people. We are to be a people set apart by God who sit under the authority of his word when we gather and we go out and proclaim the truth of his word and the glorious good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are a truth-proclaiming people. The spiritual house of God is home to the voice of God which is the proclamation of the truth. So we are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, for a holy priesthood. Now, if you are familiar with the priesthood in the Old Testament, you likely understand and your mind immediately goes to the fact that they offered sacrifices. That's kind of a primary duty of the priest was to offer sacrifices on behalf of God's people. But we must not stop short there and sell that short to say all they were doing is offering sacrifices. They offered sacrifices in order to worship God as an act of worship to God. Again, we'll look at this more next week for the sake of time. We'll, we'll keep pressing on and we can dig into that a little bit more. But listen to this from Matthew Henry, his description of this holy priesthood. Henry writes that the apostle tells them that they are a holy priesthood. They are all select persons, sacred to God, serviceable to others, well endowed with heavenly gifts and graces, and well employed. That is what we are as a, as a holy priesthood of God. We are those who are elect of God, those who are made holy by Christ, those who are set apart to serve God and to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ by giving of our lives as living sacrifices. To be a holy priesthood means that you are consecrated and set apart by God to give of yourself as a spiritual sacrifice. That leads into the next phrase. Come to him as to a living stone. Um, you, you as living stones are built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. The spiritual sacrifice is the offering of your life. It is laying your life down on the altar of God. And so you might ask, 
What does that mean? What does that look like? How far do I go in laying down my life as a sacrifice to God? Consider the Apostle Paul's final, some of his final words in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. He said, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course, and I have kept the faith. He was poured out as a drink offering. His life was given as a sacrifice to God. How was his life poured out as a sacrifice? He gave himself his every last breath to the proclamation of the gospel. He gave his every strength and his every devotion. Once Christ saved him, all of his focus and attention and work and duty was Christ. He sought to serve Christ. He ran his race well. He fought the good fight finished the course, and kept the faith. Dear friend, if you want to give your life as a spiritual sacrifice to God, follow the Apostle Paul's example. Give of your life as an offering to God. Fight the fight of the faith. Finish your course. Run well and run within the bounds and the rules. That means that we live our lives according to God's prescription and keep faith. Remain in Christ. It is God who keeps you by his grace, and we likewise labor and strive and toil to remain in Christ. This is our calling, and it is a high calling, but we must also remember, as Peter so brilliantly in the power and inspiration of the Spirit points us to, that we offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We offer ourselves to God through Christ. You are not acceptable on your own. Your good works are nothing but filthy rags before a holy God, unless they are good works done by the power of the Spirit of one who is washed in the blood of Christ. The Lord delights in the good works of his people. The Lord requires us to walk in obedience. We don't earn grace. We do not earn our salvation or any merit or any favor. But we are called to glorify God. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for the good works that he prepared beforehand so that we might walk in them. So to kind of tie all that together, we are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. You are being built up. This is not a work that you do. This is the work of God. God is building his people together. We are being fitted together by God to the end that we give ourselves as spiritual sacrifices for his glory. You are a priesthood. You are not a lone priest. You are a household built together by God. You are not a brick that stands on your own. 
you offer yourself as a living sacrifice on the altar of God right next to your brothers and sisters giving their lives also as living sacrifices to the living God. So we walk together as a priesthood. We walk together as God's spiritual house, the family of God, and we give of our lives together, walking hand in hand, making war against sin and Satan and Satan's schemes of error and falsehood. We, as God's people, stand firm, and we stand firm together. We've got to try to accelerate to move forward a little bit. We don't want to miss what we see moving through um, in verse 6 as well. Peter writes here, quoting from Isaiah chapter 28, the Lord saying, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. He who believes in him, the text really could be translated, will not be put to shame. This goes back to the precious value of the blood of Christ. If you believe in Christ, if you are washed in his blood, your sins are forgiven. You have been washed in a blood that is of far greater value than anything you can ever give, and you will not be disappointed. You will not be put to shame. The blood of Christ is sufficient. In Isaiah 28, 16, what Peter's quoting here that text reads, Behold, I am laying a stone in Zion, a, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. Firmly placed. That is our cornerstone. He is fixed in place because the price has been paid. As Christ said at the cross, it is finished the work is done, and Christ now sits interceding at the right hand of God for all of his elect saints, and he pleads the precious value of his costly blood. And this precious value, verse 7 tells us, is for those who believe. It is for those who believe. There are those who do not believe. We'll look at that in a moment. But this precious value is for those who come to Christ in faith. Those who come to him with a faith that produces real and genuine repentance. That faith is a gift and a grace of the Lord, but it is no less a faith that produces genuine repentance, that turns you away from your sin. You have hope. And you have assurance in Christ because you come to him as a living stone and you experience the, the work of God building you together as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood who then gives of their lives as spiritual sacrifices to God. And all that happens because you see Christ as precious and you believe in him. Now, we'll just skim across. There's a third heading to look at here, and for the sake of time, we'll kind of run through it as quickly as we can. And that is to see in verses 7 and 8, the unbeliever's rejection of Christ. The unbeliever's rejection of Christ. Pick up in the middle of verse 7. But for those who disbelieve, Christ is the stone which the builder rejected. And this became the very cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and rock of offense, 
For they stumble because they're disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were appointed. Those who do not believe in Christ, those who are apart from Christ, are defined kind of by two things here. That they reject Christ and that they do not believe in Christ. To reject it, it's the opposite of a word that speaks to approving something. To examine and find something being of great worth and worthy of approval. And so those who are apart from Christ, those who reject Christ, have this great guilt upon themselves because they have examined Christ and his work. They have read what is contained or heard what is contained in Scripture about Christ, and they said, no, that is not my Savior. You, you hear that, right? That, that's not the God that I serve. That's not my Jesus. My Jesus would do this or that. Or the other. Well, there's only one Jesus who's able to save, and he's the Jesus of the Bible. And what he did is recorded for us in Scripture, and it's believing those things that puts you on the path to eternal life. But there are those who reject him. Consider the rich young ruler. He came to Christ. He said, I've done all these things. I've kept all the laws. Uh, I've, I've obeyed as best I can. What else must I do to be saved? Jesus said, well, go sell everything and then come and follow me. And Matthew 19 verse 26 records that the, the rich young ruler went away grieving because he's one who owned much property. He examined the call of Christ and rejected Christ because he loved the things of the world. That's what it means. That's what it looks like to reject Christ. Now, we also see that Christ was a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to these who do not believe in him. The idea of a stone of stumbling is like a rock that you would be, be running, running maybe on a path and you strike your foot on a rock and you trip and you fall, or you trip and fall, and you strike your head on the rock. That's what Christ is to those who don't believe. He is something that they stumble over because they desire a Messiah of a different form. Then there's the idea of a rock of offense. This is the Greek term scandalon. You probably hear what word that would produce in the English, the word scandal. Jesus Christ is a scandal to the lost. Jesus Christ is a scandal to the lost because they see his holiness, his purity, his love, his command to forsake the things of the world and follow him. And they say, no, I will not do that. And so he is a, an impediment. He is something that they stumble over and reject because what Christ calls them to do is not worth the cost. Jesus is beautiful. He is glorious. He is altogether wonderful. It is Jesus in whom we find the power to be saved. But to the world, to those who live according to the wisdom of the world, he is a stumbling block. He is a rock of offense. He is a scandal. Jesus is scandalous to the world. But to the people that he has redeemed, Jesus is a precious cornerstone. He's a precious cornerstone. 
These people, Peter concludes, stumble because they're disobedient to the word. And they're disobedient to the word, he says, because to this they were also appointed. Now, the Lord is not the author of sin. He does not appoint people to go and commit sin. We are born into a sin nature because we are all in Adam. All in Adam have fallen and inherit a sin nature. And therefore, unless Christ saves you, you are appointed to eternal doom of disobedience. So the question is not, why does God appoint some to go to hell? But why would God ever be so loving and merciful and gracious to call out sinners to himself? It's as Sproul so famously said, what's wrong with you people? Why would you even consider the alternate of that question? Why would God love sinners and place his affection upon us and call us out of our sin to be his bride? And then he had to wash us. He had to cleanse us. He had to save us. But God, being rich in mercy and abounding in steadfast love, makes us alive together with Christ because he loves us with an everlasting love. So dear friends, I hope and pray that we will see Christ indeed as a precious cornerstone, that we will submit ourselves to his word, to his rule, to his standard, that we will be built up as a spiritual house of the Lord to be a holy priesthood who offers our lives as living sacrifices to God, all the while knowing that those sacrifices are acceptable only because of the blood of Christ. Come to Christ for salvation. Don't be like the world and reject him. Don't be like the world and stumble over him or be hardened by his commands. Come to Jesus Christ in faith. Come to him in faith that produces lasting repentance. Come to him as one washed in the precious blood that he gives. Live in a way that honors him, that shows that that blood is choice and precious. And live your life to the glory of God. Let's close in prayer.